OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome, Keith Liu. We're excited to have you here today. Uh, why don't we start off by maybe giving us a little bit of background about yourself, where you come from, and the things that you do in the angel investment community and world uh, that you are into today. Sure. I'm a startup coach. I'm a startup advisor and mentor. Um, and I really focus on taking high potential businesses that can really scale and enabling them to get there. And so um, I'm known for building Canada's first fractional CPO service. And so that was when we really worked closely with a lot of um, investors and their businesses that were perhaps struggling, um, you know, after they've blown through most of their investments, and then we would step in and help them get there. And so after doing that for a few years, I've really kind of fallen in love with just helping startups grow. And so that's what I do. Perfect. And, and has this been something you've been doing forever? Or did you, were you uh, in a startup yourself and kind of just saw there's this bigger picture? Um, I've always been involved in startups in my career. I mean, I, I had my first startup about 20 years ago. Back then it wasn't called a startup, it was just called a side hustle um, or just hustling. And, um, but uh, I've always had a startup, even when I was working full-time roles and my startups were making more money than my full-time uh, full gigs. But um, yeah, I've always been involved in startups, um, but it wasn't really called a startup maybe until about eight years or so ago. Um, and I've had tremendous failures and catastrophic failures and I've had a few successes. So I've been fortunate that way. Okay, great. Well, we can talk about all of those because they're all good information to learn from. And hey, you wouldn't be not sitting here, you could be sitting anywhere, but you wouldn't be in the position you are today if you didn't have the failures and you didn't have the successes. So they're all beneficial to who, who and what you are today, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess the, the first question is, why do you invest in startups and why do you have this idea that you need to be around startups? What really drives you for this? Startups drive tremendous growth and innovation that you know, traditional enterprises or legacy businesses just can't do at the right speed or have that commitment to do it, right? Whereas startups tend to take more risk and are not afraid to just do things that are the right way of doing things. And so that's just a passion of mine. I love building businesses. And so when I find other businesses or other people that are doing something that is just amazing or that can change the world or that can make a phenomenal amount of money, I would love to contribute in any way I can. And what got you started in the investment community side of things? Like what got you steered into this? So what got me started in investments? And so it was a few, so I, I haven't been in an investment game for that long, probably about six or seven years. And it was when my, when one of the startups that I was mentoring, um, they really needed some cash to get going. And this was a business that I really believed in. And I thought, hey, if I believed in this business that much, I should put in money. And uh, that, that's kind of what started the ball. And I don't jump into investments all the time. I put in a lot of my time and energy. But where it makes sense, sometimes I do that. Awesome. So when you did do this, did it work out over the long run? Was this part of your highs or part of the lows? Uh, well, the first one was a big high. And so <laughs> that's kind of been the domino effect, right? Yep. 
Yeah, so it worked out quite well and is working out quite well. And so uh, that's what's keep, kept me involved. Oh, that's awesome. And you're right, it's, uh, it's the excitement. It's almost addictive. It's like gambling. So you find the right mix, you're like, I'm in. And the next one comes, you're like, man, this fits the right mix. I'm in. And then yeah. it keeps domino affecting. But at the end of the day, you, you still got to have uh, the hands on to help and, and drive in there to, to work with them. So is there a favorite part that you have that you really love about startups or investing in startups? My, my favorite part about the startups and the startups I'm most interested in are those that are looking for more than just money. And I think most people, most smart founders realize that money is not the only thing that they need. And I think that's a, that's a major challenge that, um, we find when we're working with founders, uh, you know, I want $5 million. I want $10 million. I want $500,000. And once I have that, I'm going to have the best startup or best business in the world. That's usually not the case. It's, I need that money so that I can get customers. I need that money so I can build products, right? I need that money for a variety of reasons. And so if you have an investor that can help with that particular thing, perhaps of their network, perhaps uh, their experience, perhaps that's what their business does. I think that's where it's more aligned. And so that's where I usually look for, you know, can this startup benefit from more than just my money or my network's money? Um, and we can really go in, for instance, if we are working with a medical startup and I have investors or my network can really work with these medical platforms or applications, I think that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. And so that's typically when I would get involved. Well, that's great. So you're, you're kind of a visionary because you're looking at what's going on in this business right now and you're envisioning where they should be in the next three to five years. And you're going to say is that if I come in and just give you cash, that might get you to here. But if I come in and help you with these things or our group comes in and helps you with these things, you're going to get here no matter what. We're going to help you get to that three-year mark. So you have to envision it. And if you can't envision yourself getting there, then you probably won't be investing or driving into that company. Exactly. And, and, I, and I, I, I'm afraid of the term visionary because it sounds so grand. I think it's more just someone who thinks a bit more long-term or strategically <laughs> for these startups. And that's something that, uh, and I work with a, a lot of uh, incubators and accelerators and I mentor uh, quite a few startups. And one of the major challenges that we have that we typically see is most often startups are, are truly focused on the now, which is critically important because we have to grow, we have to survive and um, there might not be a tomorrow, but sometimes we're so focused on the now that we really don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. And so it's that uh, if we can find the right ones and work with them to think strategically and think for the long term, um, I think those are the ones that are going to be successful. Agreed. And th there's a lot of coaching that does go into that because startups are new. Your whole concept of how to run one, how to execute things, it's learn as you go. And if you don't have somebody to bounce ideas off of, share, figure out what you got to do next and solve that problem or the next problem you're going to have because they happen every day then you're really taking two steps back and you're not going to move forward as fast if you don't bounce ideas and don't think futuristic. Uh, so I promise I won't call you a visionary, but I will because that's exactly what you do. <laughs> uh, as grand as that is, it's friggin' awesome. So that's a good thing. Um, so uh, is there, do you have a, on your, I guess when you're looking at the portfolio of companies that you bring in a coach that you invest in, is there a number of companies that you look at doing this with uh, at a time per year? Like you need to make sure that you're investing in at least two companies, working with five, 
and that's what you do every year or is it kind of vary? What's the thoughts around that? So I typically don't have a set number of startups that I work with. Um, and so, you know, between investments, coaching, mentoring, or some that I sit on the board on, I'm probably actively working with about 20, but, uh, you know, in my extensive say, Hey, the folks that want to book meetings once in a while, or just check up calls or things like that, we're probably, it ranges probably 50 to 60 at a time. Okay. Sounds like a lot, but I guess in the scheme of things, you're really diving into 20 solid companies and then you've got peripheral companies that you're looking at moving around and seeing if you're going to do something with. Right. Or if I can, you know, send them somewhere else where they can need help. And sometimes companies just need, and it's also, I, I don't like to, when we think about startups, it's not companies, it's really the founders, right? Founders just need, you know, sanity checks once in a while. And I think that's really what it is. Oh, that's awesome. Agreed. Agreed. Um, is there any verticals that you like to focus in on? So if the world sees this um, one day and they're going to reach out to, to Keith, they're going to say, okay, be, he loves FinTech or he loves this. I got to go after him for this. You know, I, I have a saying, I, I don't really care if I'm selling toilets or if I'm selling artificial intelligence. It's not so much the sector that is interesting to me. It's the potential and the scale of the business. Um, that is interesting. And, and that typically, and not always, but typically has a data and AI element to it, but that's not always the case, right? It's just that um, from my experience, it feels like data-driven data businesses or AI-driven businesses typically are the ones that can scale the fastest. And so that might be a common theme among most of the business I work with, but that's not always true. Okay. So do you, do you dabble in uh, food and retail or those are you like just deep tech? I mean, we've, I've worked with food and, and retail and there are very interesting companies that I, I do work with right now. Um, but it's got to be one that's capable of high scale, I suppose, right? Yep. Again, that's just my personal interest. Yeah, yeah no, that's perfect. High scale is good. Uh, <clears throat> Vertical agnostic is good too. So it's just figuring out what the, the right little mix is, yeah. um, which is good. So now you've, uh, you've tied in, you're working with the, the startups, you're getting lots of information, you're, you're moving, uh, moving along. Is there anything when you're diving into, really diving into the company from a DD perspective, you're doing your due diligence, is there things that you look for to make sure that this is something you want to get behind? Because I'm sure not every company you look at are going to be buddies and friends that you've... Uh, got to get in and work with. So is there a process or is there something that you really have to dive into right away in order for to, you to commit? I mean, it depends. So sometimes if it's a, a really tech driven startup, then of course we have to do a, a very deep technical due diligence. Right. And so that does arrange, that does range from, you know, looking at the product, sometimes looking at the code, sometimes looking at, uh, you know, the people involved, but, um, Really, I think a big part of it is based on the founders uh, for me. I mean, the founders and the team are probably, in my mind, some of the most important pieces of building a successful startup. And so that's where we focus a lot of the energy. And so getting to know the founders, getting to know, um, you know, what their goals are and how they work, et cetera, that's, that's probably the most important thing for me. So if, if, uh, if the founders are the most important piece of this whole startup community and what you're doing, um, 
how do you find with COVID and being the separated side of things and doing things through Zoom or whatever it might be, uh, do you think you can still work and invest in a company if you don't get the opportunity to meet face-to-face or you're going to make that happen no matter what? Does that make it to you? You know, COVID hasn't, uh, at first, I, I would say the first month or so, COVID kind of changed the investment landscape a bit, right? Uh, you know, and a lot of, most deals are done with a handshake and probably with a drink the night before. Um, but um, it's actually, in my mind, changed for the better. Now it's a lot less BS and it's a lot more focused on, hey, is this business awesome? Are these founders the right people to get it done? Are they right in the right industry, right? Because I don't, we don't have the opportunity to do more of the, the soft stuff, if, I, if, uh, if that means anything. But uh, I find that now, I think now that we've had time to adjust, I don't think it will slow down anything. In fact, I think it just makes things a lot more efficient. So it kind of just moves everybody into more of a digital space, which is what we all talk about and do, but now we actually have to act on it. <laughs> now we actually have to do it. The craziest thing is because I've been working in tech for 20 something years. And, you know, when we're working uh, in large tech corporations, and even though they are selling 100% digital products, you know, multi-million dollar or hundreds of multi-million dollar deals are are always done in person and, and always requires, you know, big meetings with like 50 people. Meanwhile, I think now we're truly actually doing everything digital, which is awesome. Well, maybe that means that people are actually taking more risk and they're making calls and not having to tie the 40 people into a meeting. And they're just saying, you know what? I don't have time to round everybody up, even though I may have done it in an office, but now I got to get this done tomorrow. So I'm just going to make the call. Yeah. That's good. So it might be changing. The world be changing. That's good because I, I love digital. So I'm, I'm glad the world's caught up and hopefully it stays that way. Um, so in the DD, is there anything that you look for on terms or paperwork that also kind of really, uh, I guess, gets you interested more? Like they've done their, you've done the due diligence, you're a big fan of the team, you like where the owners go and the CEO. Is there any, uh, do you, on a term sheet, are you okay with uh, the way it's structured if it's going to be done as a safe or it's done as equity? Is there anything like that that you stay away from or that you're open to? I think I'm, I'm open to anything. And again, as long as the way that they structure it, it makes sense, right? And the one thing I have to clarify, I speak on behalf of a lot of different investors that I work with. Um, myself, I don't typically put in a lot of money myself anymore. It's really about the people I work with that potentially do that. Yep. And um, most of the time, there's not a particular a particular structure or anything we're looking for as long as it's something standard and it's not something that you know it's out of the out of the moon here right or anything that's crazy but i don't think there's anything that that really catches people it's really if the business is awesome we'll find a way of working together so you have your own kind of preferable terms that you'll put together or do you leave it on the startup to put this together and then you'll go through it and just validate it and go forward well we'll leave it with the startup but then it's a conversation right yep awesome uh one thing that uh uh, I guess people always look at is that because you're coming into the business, you're rounding everybody up. Does this mean you're leading the round? Does this mean that you're taking that stance on finding all of the investors? So you agree the terms, then you go out, find the money. Everybody else is uh, excited for it. You close the round, Bob's your uncle, or do you let the startup go also go out and find the rest of the funds? Like you commit half of it and let them do the rest. Yeah, again, completely open to how we, how we work together. I mean, sometimes we've led, sometimes you followed it doesn't really matter so you don't have a preference i do not have a preference 
I like it. You're like easygoing person in this stuff. This is amazing. It's, it's the, I, in, in my mind, in my mind, it's not the money side is relatively easy to to settle. It's you know, and, and the terms of how that money works. Like, you know, I was just in a in a pitch contest yesterday with uh, Shulik, and you know, we had a startup there that in eight days they closed two million dollars. Right. And were people really picky on, you know, the terms or whatever, when you have a great business, you have a great business and we'll figure out how to work together. No, for right? sure. Now I'm curious who this company was that raised 2 million in eight days. I think the, I, I don't know if I can say it publicly. So I, I'm pretty sure I can, but in the case I can't, I just won't say it. How about that? You can text it to me after. Cause I <laughs> feel like I'm missing out on a deal flow now. Um, Okay, so uh, that, that makes sense. Do you have uh, a follow-up structure where you're, you're saving a, a X amount of money to invest again, or you just keep following the, the sequence of the next series, the next series, and just kind of uh, tying in the right investor at the right time? No, there's no specific structure. And as, as you can imagine, I, and it, I think this is where it sometimes gets a little daunting for startup founders, because it feels like there's so much structure. Is this the right way of doing things after my, my, my friends and family round? Is this the pre-seed? And then is that the angel? And then is this the seed? Like, it, it can seem very daunting at the end of the day, I think. But the reality is very far from that. It's hey, we're a startup and you guys are the investors, you're on our board perhaps, and we're working together and you know we need a, another 250K for us to get to the next milestone. I don't know what that round is called, but we just need money, right? And so we just work together with them, right? And if it's a company that you believe in, it's a company that you've invested in, then you'll continue working with them to get them there. And I think that's, I think that's, it feels like that's relatively normal. Um, and that's, that's how we work with people. And again, it's not always, and it's not always money. A lot of times it's, Hey, you know what, we're getting into this space. Um, and we really need some help here, you know, or, you know, our products are having some major issues or, Hey, we're, we're getting, uh, some, you know, getting some lawsuits or litigated against how can we help. Right. And so I think, uh, it's just that ability to continuously work with the founders and the startups. No, that's good. I think that it really leads into the kind of the next point I wanted to chat with you about, and that's uh, on mentorship. Do you find, I know from a coaching perspective, you certainly do. So do you feel that uh, startups should go outside of their norm and find multiple mentors and coaches to help them along the way from day one? How does that story kind of pan out for you? I, I think there's, we have to be careful with mentorship. There's a lot of mentorship available, right? There's a million and one uh, incubators and accelerators and different networks. And, um, and so, and I think we're all bombarded with a crazy amount of mentorship and fireside chats and conversations and Ted talks. Right. Um, I think we really, and a lot of them and most mentors have great intentions and great experiences, but oftentimes they could be um, opposing views of something and it could end up taking a lot of a startup founder's time. And so I think the first step is probably making sure that we're finding mentors or coaches that are a right fit and are aligned with the founders and what they want to achieve. And secondly, if they actually have the time to put in to get them there, 
right? I, I think from, there are some mentors that we would want to have that we can have a half an hour, one hour conversation with a month, maybe. But in the, long, in, the, in the big scheme of things, that's probably not very helpful. Maybe a little inspiring once in a while, but in my mind, a mentor coach is someone that can actually work with you and actually, you know, unlock doors for you, um, you know, help you solve a specific problem. And that requires a bit more time. And so that's how I view mentorship. I, I think it's important to have some, but it's important to have the right kind of mentor and not too many of them. So do you help facilitate that? So do you kind of see, cause you are now really invested in this company, uh, you're in there. Do you kind of look and see, okay, there's a problem here. Let me find the perfect person that's going to mold into this and you go out and find them. Or do you kind of leave that up to the uh, founder to go and search around and look for, other mentors or advisors that they want to pay and bring in. Yep. That's, that's what I typically, I work with the startup to go and find them. Right. And so sometimes it's, and it's interesting, again, perhaps it's my network or the people I work with, a lot of the investors, investor friends that I have want to be supportive and advisory in the startups that they go into. And it makes sense, right? Because perhaps they were former founders and they've exited and they're you know, very successful and they want to help the next generation of businesses to succeed. And they know that beyond the money, it's what else they can do. Is it the network? Is it the partnerships? Is it customers? Whatever. Agreed. And that's great that you, you have a good network of people that do want to give back. It's tough. A lot of people either onto the next business or maybe they're hanging out in their cottage in their beach and they're there for the next 20 years until they snap out of the, the days that they're in. But you know, it's good that they're coming back. So that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I think uh, former exited st startup founders, is that the right word? Yeah, they are um, often bored, uh, you know, sitting at their, their new homes or cottages. And uh, especially with COVID, it's been, uh, a lot of them are getting quite antsy and want to go out and do things, invest. Well, that's good that you can kind of pull those strings and get them in because it's super helpful. Uh, there, there's a lot of knowledge there that could be lost if they don't get pulled in. So based on the environment that we're currently in, have you, you mentioned this earlier, actually, so I'm not sure that the answer is going to go this way, but because of COVID, have you found that there's been a slowdown in investment side of things for startups? Have you found that people are pulling back and waiting things out or ramping forward and saying, you know what, there's deals out there, let's go after them? COVID has changed the investment landscape i i think and it's changed business full stop right so i think definitely there has been a change and this is just from my experience and what i see that uh, traditional slash legacy type of investors um they may have seen a big hit in their portfolio and uh, they react differently some are you know pulling back in terms of you know hey we've just taking a bath on the market. We have to do things differently. And uh, so they might have tightened up their wallets. Meanwhile, what I've been seeing is a lot of, I don't want to call them smart investors, opportunistic investors. And I don't mean that in a bad way, um, but uh, there are a lot of investors who are seeing that this is a great opportunity to invest in say, you know, gaming companies because gaming is blowing up right now in health related companies because you know, it's more important than ever, right? There's a, there's a lot of different types of companies that are great opportunities right now and the smart investors are going in. And so it's certainly changed, um, but your traditional investors probably, they might have taken a bit of a pause, but there are a lot of other investors out there who are doubling down. 
And, and I think that's, uh, that's a, a really fair analysis of for sure that people slow down a little bit. You know, if they're invested a million, now they're only putting in half. Or if they were going after 100 companies, they're going after 20 companies. Like things have shifted a lot. And yeah. rightfully so, there's got to be a way to kind of steer through what's going to be coming, right? Uh, from, from all the companies that you've worked with in the past, the companies that you're looking to work for in the future, is there something that you can kind of say that, you know, here's one or two or three things that really stand out for you that from all the ones that have been successful that you really would like to port this over to any new startup? So some advice you'd give and say, hey, you know what, if you're an early stage company, here's three things that I learned that really will make you a rock star if you guys utilize these somewhere in your journey. Wow, that's a really good question. So let me, let me try to rephrase that. What are three things that I, that I look for, that I suggest in future startups to attract investors? Is that, is that the right question? Yeah, it could be attract investors or just to be successful in growing their companies, like really anything across the line, anything that's going to make them rock stars. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to sound like a textbook, I guess. But I mean, the, the, the one thing is you have to make sure that, one, it's the right fit. It's going to sound really bad when I say that because this was literally Startup 101, but product market fit is what we talked about. But um, it's critically important that you actually have the right product for the right market. And the thing, the one question I ask every single startup is how are you going to defend against people with bigger networks and deeper pockets and more relevance in this space and more experience in this space and the startups that can come out and truthfully and answer that question in a strong position are the ones that are going to succeed. Right. And so we are going to, uh, for instance, um, we will defend against, you know, hey, the Walmarts of the world coming in to do this because we are a, a new retail type of company by doing X, Y, Z. And we have this in our back pocket or we have this specific thing that no one's done before or that we're doing very differently. And this is this is not something we're talking about. This is something that we already have, already planning, already doing. I think that's something that's critically important, right? Um, that's, that's pretty much the number one question. I mean, I build businesses, I build startups for a living. So what stops me if Keith was a very evil type of investor and I saw that you had a great idea, why can't I just go out and build that? I have the money, I have the experience, and I have, I have the, 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 the people to do it. So if you can defend that to me, if you can argue against me and do that, then I think you're the right company. I think you're a smart company. No, I like that. It's, uh, yeah, you're defending your, I guess, your product, your honor, make sure that you know how it's going to move forward. And if that's done through IP or it's done through um, uh, contacts in certain markets or it's yep. focus, there's a lot of things that really tie into that um, a uniqueness, I guess, and your ability to really hone into how you're going to be successful in that market. So I like that uh, you phrase it as more of a question and a way of getting them to defend their thesis, if you will, on why they're going to be successful and how they're going to get there. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's not so much, a, it's not so, not so much just a, a Q and a, it's more about really, because you learn about that business that way. Right. And it's really important. And uh, that's, you know, a lot of times we're so focused on building the most awesome widget in the world and we don't think about if there's someone who can build it better than me. That is the case. Yes, you're right. Or that big businesses are already in the same process of building it. Yeah. Um, I was uh, 
it was on a call this morning or it was a podcast. I can't remember where it was, but um, what was uh, what was occurring? But it was the story on Microsoft, and what I found fascinating about it was that when Microsoft uh, first started off, uh, nobody believed that they could be anything because no one believed that the change was worth going into. No one wanted a desktop computer. Nobody wanted a mobile phone. So. If you, as a startup, you can go under the radar because you're doing something that's revolutionary, but you're being quiet enough that people aren't looking at you as a threat because then when you do turn on the threat meter, that's when everybody else starts to panic. And what I'm seeing a lot of uh, in the last few years, there was a lot of everybody's an entrepreneur now, but then in the last year, that's shifted a lot. People are like, you know what? This entrepreneur thing's too hard. And now (laughs) the ones that have stuck it out they're looking under the radar and they're thinking, how do I get into that market? How do I really make this dent and then turn on the valve and let people know that we're here so that it'll start to feed itself. So I think to a lot of your points on how you're really solving this uh, problem, which is uh, how do I defend my business? Well, I think the big thing is how do I create a funnel that eventually the next two years, people are coming to me. I'm not going to them. I don't want to always have to go and sell to everybody. But if I can do this right at the beginning, people are going to be coming to me to find where this problem is and I'm going to be the solution. Right. So I think there's a, there's a lot of, just like the Microsoft story, I'm going to secretly get out there. And when I turn the funnel on, they're all coming to me because we're going to build something that fantastic that they're all going to be herd mentality and they're going to want in. Yeah. And then there's a saying where, you know, a lot of startups, they operate in stealth mode, right? And, uh, we are, and, and it's not always the best option for startups. It depends, but we always like to say we operate in stealth mode. And the first time you're going to hear from us, the words we say are checkmate. I like that. So we've kind of gone through this nice little journey. You've done all your information, deep dive, working with the owners, coming up with the term sheets, finding the investors, everybody's ready. You're all in, you're working with, uh, with the teams. Is there something else that you bring to the game to help the startups outside of just say funding and coaching, is there other things that you really try to put them through? Is there like a package, like an eight week program, or is there anything that you do or you guys do that fits just outside the box, but really helps these startups move through? So speaking about stealth mode, and I suppose this is the first time that we're going to say it publicly, but we have built an accelerator out of what we do. And so again, we don't, we haven't publicly shared this with anybody. Um, at least not yet, but that's essentially what we do. And our, our methods are slightly different, right? So we would put in a fractional CTO, CMO, CFO, you know, whatever it is that the startup needs to go and help them succeed and get them there. A lot of times when we're building a business, we probably have two or three co-founders or two, one or two co-founders and it may be a small team of one or two or three people. And so you're, they're typically product focused and sales focused. As, as we are building our first business. And so we will surround that team with our team to get them there. No, that's awesome. And that's what we would do, yeah. Well, those are uh, a little, just a little bit of extras that you throw in there. So that's not a bad thing, I guess. It'll help. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's uh, a lot of times people don't think about their finances and it's really important, right? I mean, hey, if, is, do I have money in the bank account is what a startup typically thinks about, right? But are we planning out the business the right way or are we going to market the right way? A lot of times it's, hey, if we build it, they will come. No, that's not true whatsoever, right? And every business in the history of time has learned that lesson. 
And so, but we don't think about it. We think about building the best AI platform that's ever been created for supply chain. That, that happens, you know, how, how often I would hear that statement. We have the best product in the world. When it's out there, it's going to be amazing. Not true whatsoever. How are you thinking about your channel partnerships? How are you going to get your first few customers? Well, how about, well, if we haven't thought about it, then let's not just think about it now. Let's execute on that. Right? And let's go and do it together. And I, uh, I completely agree with that. And over the years that we've found these uh, little loopholes as well, um, I'll say loopholes where it's lack of focus because 98% of all startup founders are builders. They just yeah. want to build. They forget that they got to sell. Yeah. Having an amazing product that nobody uses is a waste of time and effort and money. So yeah. you really got to find that sales side of things and understanding where you're going after the verticals and get in there. Um, so we started to, and I won't, we're not a, an accelerator, but Aaron, but we started to hit roadblocks. And when we hit roadblocks, we create different things. So we started off by doing uh, partials on software side, which is where we have Harboot and we provide resourcing to the startup to build platforms. So that's mm -hmm. early, early. And then we created a new one recently called Cashmere, which is uh, structured around the accounting and uh, bookkeeping because so many companies we go to invest in, they're like, well, we don't have any of this. You've never filed taxes. And you're like, wow, how did you get this far without any of this stuff? How do you know where your finances sit? So we thought, you know what, why don't we help that? Because we know that finance is a tough situation, period. But why don't we figure out how to help that? So we created this arm to take care of those things. And it's not because the startup doesn't need them or that the company doesn't need to focus on them. The founder should 100% be focusing on these aspects, especially the money side of things but it's helping them educate them and move them through the system at a more effective cost rate so that they're burning the money on growing their business. And there's a point in time where they are going to take some of this back over and they're going to bring it in house. So why not help them levitate or leverage more of what they can to grow faster. And with your CFO, CTO, CMO offerings, I think that's amazing because those are exactly the types of extra tools that they can utilize, but it's also the people that are coming in more senior, so they're not just bouncing their idea off someone that's worked on a brand project once in their life. Yes. They're working with someone that's worked on 400 brand projects and they really know what they're doing. I, I, I apologize. I, I, I'm laughing out loud, literally. I, I think um, one of the problems or one of the challenges we see in not only just startup mentorship or advisory, now I'm going to sound like a hater, but, uh, but also in say fractional support, um, you know, is that just because you've done marketing at a bank for 20 years, it doesn't mean that you're a great marketing mentor for a startup or a coach or a, or a CMO for a startup in FinTech, right? You have that experience, which is awesome, but a startup and you know, RBC are two different things. And, and so, you know, that's one of the typical challenges that we see and, and, and you, make, you bring a great point. It's how, do the people supporting you have a breadth of experience in a variety of different things and also in your particular field? And I think that's what makes a, a, a great uh, advisor, mentor, coach, or, or staff member. Agreed. And I think it's also making sure that the CFO or CEO also knows that they, this is their company. They have control over it and they manage everything. But the more people that have knowledge and experience around you allows you to move quicker, faster, more nimble and move through things. And I think once you realize that you're not the smartest guy in the room or the smartest lady in the room, that you've got some really good people around you, 
you'll find that things just move so much easier, quicker, faster, and they hopefully will protect you from the outside elements of crazy and they'll help you move through that faster too. So I, I do really appreciate that. And you know, I strive to be the dumbest person in the room. And I really do mean that. Like uh, if you, if when you're building a company and you are bringing in people who are better than you at just about everything else, I think you've done the best job. That's what you want. If we're here to build a business, right? A startup is a business. And for a business to be successful, we need to have bright people. And so if we focus on the business as opposed to I, the founder, then if you're looking, taking a step back, then I definitely want to hire people who are better than me at just about everything. So I think people that can do that are going to be more successful. I like it. So to, to top on that success thing, now your startups have kind of gone out in the world. They're working away. You guys have helped them uh, get to a couple million of MRR or ARR and everybody's happy. Is there... Um, Anything that, let's just say, if we were to share one awesome story that you could say, like, this startup was, oh, my God, I can't believe where they're at, what they're doing, all wrong, isn't working, and that they came out on the top, and here's where they are. Some amazing, heartfelt uh, story that you could share that really just emphasizes um, what it's like to be a startup or what people may go through and just add that element of excitement or surprise or just some crazy random story that pops in your head that you're like, you know what, I gotta tell this story because people are gonna love it. That's, that's a very good one. I, I, I mean, I have a, a million stories I can think of. Um, and you know what, a, a great story um, that I'll tell just because it's a, it's a startup that I'm working with right now. I was one of the first investors and I actually work with them uh, part-time now. But this company, when it first started, it was, you know, think about back in the, uh, are you familiar with a company called Future Shop? Future Shop? Future Shop? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just not everybody I'm remembers. Sure I got the right story. I'm like, Future Shop? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, Future Shop. Okay, so Future Shop, you know, closed down uh, years ago. It was bought by Best Buy or whatever, right? And uh, Best Buy decided to lay off uh, most of their senior staff and, and keep some of them. And uh, this one startup that I'm working with, um, the founder was a general manager for their flagship store. And what they saw was, um, you know what? Best Buy is laying off all my people that I helped build for years. They're keeping me, but they're laying off my team. And there's hundreds of people just from his own store that's going to be unemployed. Mm -hmm. And so instead what he decided to do was he built a startup that could employ all of them. And that was a pretty grand vision because that store was a multi, multi-million dollar business and you're going to go build a startup that's going to try to employ all these people. And, uh, you know, that was, I think, about five years ago, something like that. And um, it's been a long road in, in terms of the, the, the startup journey of building the right business and pivoting. And it was a two-sided marketplace at first and now it's a SaaS platform. But we're at the point where it's grown, it's scaling, and it's going global. And he has realized or is on the journey of realizing that dream, right? And so some of his former um, staff now work with him in his startup. That's a highly scalable data and AI platform. And it's about hiring, helping other people get jobs. And so it's, it's one of my favorite stories because it's, this, this is a story of someone who literally went through the, 
you know, learning everything and having to grow and having to scale and pivot. And now they're actually going global and it's, I love it. It's a, oh, it's that's a amazing. great experience. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are the best ones. And he's going to have an even better story when it does go global and he gets to do that first interview or 10,000th interview. And he's going to be able to tell that story that he went from uh, being, uh, having to ask his whole team to hiring 50% of them back. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's exciting. So he's a true GM. He really took care of his people. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and that's, he's, he's a great guy. And, and um, yeah, just really happy for him. No, I love it. So we're getting close to the end and uh, I obviously totally enjoyed this conversation. So now we're going to kind of do the crystal ball thing. And uh, I need you to kind of, uh, and because you are a visionary and uh, <laughs> I think this fits just perfectly well in your wheelhouse is uh, what do you see in the next 12 months in the market and in general? And then where do you see everything going in the next three years? So I guess 12 to 36 months, how do you see the investment community and startup world kind of colliding in the next 12 to 36 months? Is there an area of focus? Uh, is there some crazy new tech that you could see unraveling? What do you kind of envision over the next 12 and 36 months? So investment in, I've seen investment in uh, data, AI, blockchain, and healthcare. These are the four that have been accelerating over the past few months. And I don't see that slowing down. I really think that's going to continuously accelerate because healthcare is evergreen. Data, data, data and AI is something that I assume is going to be evergreen, right? So these are things that are gonna be here. Blockchain, I don't know. But, um, but these are the four areas that are accelerating. And so, and you know, because of the, um, the issues we're having globally for, um, a lot of different reasons, you know, the transparency in blockchain is, is quite important. So I can see that. And so these four areas in my mind are, are going to continuously accelerate and um, investors are going to be doubling down and tripling down. Whether that is 12 months or 36 months, I think it's just going to continuously increase. We are now seeing what's important. I think it takes the world all, you know, burning and getting sick for us to realize, hey, we have to invest in transparency. We have to invest in health. Right, we have to invest invest in privacy and knowledge, right? And so these things are happening, and so the smart investors will be continuously doing that. And so that's that's what I predict, and I, I don't think it's going to slow down. That's awesome. And uh, it's funny; everybody says the same thing about blockchain. They're like, "It's going like crazy," but I don't know where it's going. So it's out there. <laughs> Something's happening with blockchain. I don't really know, but it's uh, it is such blockchain and uh, and uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, they're kind of fitting in this bucket where what's really happening and is it, uh, is it going to take off? Is it just kind of sitting in the sidelines? Someone's trying to figure out still what to do with all this. Uh, but I, I certainly do agree that um, AI and health and data is big. It's happening everywhere. Always will be. People want that data. And healthcare, it's taking off, even though right now I think they've had some 50% reduction in uh, uh, broken arms and legs and other issues that people have been facing because no one's doing anything. So I think they want to ramp the world back up because uh, surgeons are bored. They're sitting at home wondering uh, who they're going to do surgeries on if nobody's out being active. So uh, I think that there's going to be a shift back again and there's probably going to be a mass craze for uh, hospital lineups to take care of uh, those types of things. But there's certainly uh, room right now to make so much impactful changes in how the healthcare system works. 
for being able to push people in and out of um, uh, being taken care of. And uh, I think one thing I'll add on the healthcare side is I, I really think there's going to be a big, big, big push in mental health. I think a lot of people are, uh, are really starting to uh, learn more about what types of things they're going through. And I think this pandemic has helped people realize um, that maybe they're in this alone and they want some help or there's other problems. So I think there's going to be a few things that will really float to the top. Uh, but I, I, love the, uh, I love the four. They're, uh, they're fantastic. And you know what, just to add to what you're saying, and just as literally my experience right now, I'm finding that the medical community, because you literally talked about, you know, surgeons, yeah, they might be, they might not be as busy as they normally are right now, but they have become investors. And some of them have traditionally been investors, right? They've, they've yep. been investors, uh, surgeons make money. And so, you know, they have probably always been investors, but now that they have a bit more time on their hands, they are looking at other opportunities to invest in. And it makes sense that a lot of them are medical applications, right? It doesn't always have to be. Um, but uh, so I'm, I'm literally seeing this daily right now. Agreed. Yeah, it, it, I interviewed uh, two weeks ago um, a doctor in uh, Sudbury that he's been investing in. Phenomenal. The conversation yeah. was awesome just because they had so much interest and a lot of it is on the medical side. Um, and they get the tech, they get where it's going, but they see the application to it, right? They're there. So they yes. can kind of figure out where it's going to fit. And they're like, yeah, I can work with this. Sign it me makes up. The most sense. It makes great sense. Yeah. That's, that's the type of investor you want. They're smart. They understand the industry. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, to end this off, is there any one last advice you want to give to a startup or to investors? Anything you want to throw out there? Uh, Keith, it's uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. I think um, money is, as someone who's a serial entrepreneur, money is important. I get it. I have spent the majority of my startup life chasing money. Um, and I totally understand the importance for a startup to land that and for an investor to deploy it. I think what's important and that we often forget is that it's, we need more than just money. And so as a startup, make sure that you find an investor who can really give you more than just money? Is it their network? Is it the support? Is it you know the clientele? Do they have a go to a potential partnership with one of their businesses? Who knows? But that is much more important than just straight money. Um, and on the other side, for investors, yes, it's important to make sure that we deploy our cash. And and a lot oftentimes, especially when we're speaking Canada, traction is the most important word. And if you don't have traction, I'm not interested. And I think that's a very short-sighted view in terms of looking at startups because the typically, the, the most innovative, the ones that are gonna grow, the ones that are gonna change the world, change Canada at the very least, might not have traction right now. And that's okay. And we need to give them a chance and we have to make sure that we do our due diligence and find that they're not wasting our money, but find the right companies, bet on them, even if they're not where, you, where other investors would have liked them to see, well, like them to be right now. Because if you make the right bets, you're going to build amazing companies. I love it. Well, you heard it all right here from Keith. You're a good man. Thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, I took my notes as I do. Lots oh, of wow. there. Uh, that, that's what I'm doing while you're, I'm writing everything down, man. I got to make sure this stuff doesn't go anywhere but here and in the video and everybody gets to see it. So I'm a big fan. Uh, I love it. Make the bet and go after it. Uh, you're bang on. That's what people need to start thinking about. It's not always about traction. It's futuristic. And you totally are a visionary, man. Go with this. 
Even your three things you just talked about, you're like, this, make the bet. They may not have this, this, and this, but make the bet. That's a visionary. They got to see where it's got to go. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to put visionary in air quotes on my LinkedIn. <laughs> yes. I'm going to put it on my LinkedIn just to tell everyone, like, I just ought to keep, keep quotes. <laughs> hey, this was a pleasure, man. It was, uh, it was really fun chatting with you.